Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? How you doing? Are you holding up in the heat? Where are you? It's it's fucking over, man. We are watching the planet die. It's dying, uh, and I guess some of you have uh, better seats than others currently, but we will all be... Uh, the bleacher seats are going to be fine come the next few years. Doesn't matter where you're sitting, you're going to see the show. You know what I'm saying? But I hope you're holding up. I hope you're uh, making do. I hope you're keeping cool. I hope you're not stroking out. Take it easy, man. Slow it down. Get into a child's mind and a lizard heart. Just, you know, kind of get in the shade and turn it down. Slow down that metabolism. Take it in. It's dark, but it's light. You know what I'm saying? It's hot, but it's, it's cold reality. Today on the show, I talked to uh, Steven Soderbergh, the director, uh, going all the way back to Sex Lies and Videotape, Oceans 11, 12, and 13, Traffic, Contagion, uh, the list goes on. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, of, uh, of Traffic, but I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Behind the Candelabra, the, uh, the Liberace movie he did, I think, for HBO. Oh, my God fucking michael douglas just gives into it man who are you talking to mumbles (laughs) i love that movie i love it i love it uh it's interesting about him because in comparison to tarantino who draws from every type of movie ever and just kind of mashes it up, mashes it together in his sort of a montage collage of a thousand styles and shots and uh, homages. And Soderbergh actually uh, is quite different. He, he actually locks into a style or tone for an entire film and he holds it, but he doesn't stay the same. I mean, they're all, he's always challenging himself I think with technology and also with just tone and style. And I watched the new film, No Sudden Move, which is a straight up noir uh, with Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro. And it's a, it's a multi-layered, fairly complex noir. And, uh, and it's tonally tight, very specific and different than his other movies. He's just a, he definitely takes chances and he is a masterful director. And I'm glad we got to talk. We did do it over Zoom because that was the way it was set up initially. 
So that is, uh, that's going to happen. It was exciting to talk to him. I was a little intimidated. I was more intimidated by Soderbergh uh, than I was Tarantino because Soderbergh seems like a kind of a serious guy, straight shooter, uh, you know, just a little, you know, heady dude. But it worked out fine. I want to give a little love, send a little uh, uh, juice to uh, uh, this thing that's going on in um, it's a tribute. Now, I don't know how many of you know Barry Crimmins. He's a great comic. We had him on the show a couple of times, and he used to work uh, with me and Brendan over at Air America. It was actually his interview on this show that inspired Bobcat Goldthwait to do the documentary about Barry, Mr. Lucky. But he was also the uh, the founder of the influential Boston area comedy club, The Ding Ho, which you might have heard me talk about with uh, with lots of comics, especially the Boston guys. Well, Jimmy Tingle is one of those guys, and Jimmy helped organize a 40th anniversary celebration of The Ding Ho that you can watch this weekend as part of a fundraiser. Uh, Jimmy is joined by Stephen Wright, Paula Poundstone, Bobcat Goldthwaite, Dennis Leary, Lenny Clark, Don Gavin, Jack Gallagher, Tony V, Kenny Rogerson, and, and, and just a ton more comics, so many more comics, to laugh and celebrate both Barry and the Ding Ho. Uh, you can watch it by making a donation to support Barry's wife, Helen. Uh, when Barry died in 2018, his wife, Helen, was in the middle of her fight with stage four non-Hodgkin lymphoma. The fundraiser helps with her medical and living expenses. The tribute is airing July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. That's tonight, tomorrow, and Saturday. Go to jimmytingle.com for tickets. The Ding Ho. The Ding Ho. I remember going there when I was in college, when I first started doing comedy back in the mid-'80s. My first show, it was, it was probably the last... The last summer, the Ding Ho was open, but I was able to get on that stage. Uh, it was back when Tingle, a lot of harmonica in Tingle's act. Uh, I remember Ron Lynch was in a in a team called Bob and Ron. Lenny Clark used to host the open mic where he would do 45 minutes between acts. Uh, Mark Clark was a door guy. And uh, it was, you know, it was connected to the Chinese restaurant, which I never ate at. The only thing I remember about performing at the Ding Ho was one time I was about to go on and I spilled a drink on my pants. It looked like I pissed myself and I had to go on like that. I had to work with it. I had to work with it. I don't remember having a good set. I can remember what the inside of the club looked like. I can remember what it felt like to be on stage there. But uh, I don't remember anything about performing there. But I remember it. I remember being there. And I remember uh, sitting at the bar with Ron Lynch and, and, and his partner, Bob, after I came out of the bathroom uh, or after I had just spilled a, 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 a drink on myself and I went to the bathroom to try to dry it and to no avail and I was just starting out and it was uh, another traumatic experience. I've really been thinking about this lately, a lot. Just the PTSD necessary to sort of continue uh pursuing comedy like i was thinking back at some of the gigs that we were doing like because people when the store reopened the comedy store people were like ah there's nobody here i'm like so what don't you remember doing this i mean and you're when when people say at the beginning now it's packed but the first couple of weeks it was small audiences they were distanced they couldn't only let certain amount of people in and people were complaining i'm like are you fucking out of your mind just get your work done for fuck's sake 
I mean, do people forget? I've done shows for two people, four people, eight people, nine people, 12 people, 15 people spread out. I've driven 200 miles to perform for seven people. I've done in shows in bars and discos and bowling alleys and fucking uh, veterans halls. I've done shows. I mean, I don't even know how I did it. I was an angry, neurotic, furious Jewish kid in my early 20s just roaming all over the New England countryside to walk into situations I had fucking no idea what I was getting into, to go up cold and and do a half hour before 45 minutes. I don't know how I did it. Just thinking about it now makes me embarrassed and uncomfortable and fucking sad as fuck for that guy. And, you know, I wasn't, I, I just, I don't know who that kid was, but uh, I do know that I locked in somehow. I kept going. I I had uh, I had shattered my sense of rejection to the point where somehow or another I managed it. But there, I still feel it, the sensitivity, the terror. Not when I do a theater, and not even when I go on to store or whatever. But like somebody asked me, I think Lance over at Permanent Records, he's like, "Do you want to you want to do a show at the at the record store?" And um, man, I. The thought of walking into a record store and doing, you know, just a gig on a small stage or whatever, just a gig in a room that's not a stand-up room or a theater, not a like legit place. I'm like, I can't handle it, man. I don't want the stress of that. I like the parameters defined. You know, I don't want, you know, I don't, I just, I, I can't do it. After years of performing in every shithole that you can imagine of all kinds, you know, even if they're bars, they don't doesn't mean they're they're built for performances. Hotel ballrooms. I'm just like I, I I'm not. It was like the same thing with performing at these outdoor shows or driving shows during the pandemic. Can't I don't want the stress of that. Give me a comedy club. Give me a small theater, a big theater. I don't care. But the anxiety of just going up, either cold, or even with an opener in a in a situation that is makeshift. I'm just fucking. I can't. It's like a trigger, man. And I don't know if I would frame it as PTSD because I, I mean, I intentionally put myself into all those situations, but for years, for years, going back to the comedy store was like visiting the abuser. And I don't, I, when I really think about some of those gigs, it's just horrendous to me. I did it. I learned my fucking craft. I know how to get in shape now, but I, you know, just terror. And just even the thought of it now, like I'm going on tonight, you know, at Dynasty Typewriter with a bunch of half, you know, half ideas, a few jokes, a few things, and I'm going to riff it out. And that's how I do it. And like my brain is on fire. I'm on edge. I'm furious at everything. I'm furious at myself. And this happens innately. I don't know why this is the way that my brain needs to generate, why this is the method but like, I just, like, I know like today heading into this thing, my brain will just fucking rip open and I'll, and I'll start putting things together and I'll outline and stuff and I'll just go kick it around up there in front of people. It's terrifying. It's, t- there's nothing not horrendously stressful about it, but it's always the way I've done it. And this is how I'm going to do it. I'm not happy about it. I don't know what's going to happen. I never give myself the benefit of the doubt, given that I've done this for half my fucking life at this point. 
I'm just on, I am at the edge, man. And I know on some level it's like, hey, man, it's not sober behavior. You know, maybe you need a meeting. You're dry. You're this or that. This is the way it goes. And I never remember that this is the way it goes. I want to quit. I don't want to do it this way anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to. And I'm just, I get myself into this fucking meltdown mode. I guess it's my innate way of building up the courage to fucking do this show because it's all life or death for me. I'm not going up there with a list and like, well, that joke didn't work. I'm going, I got to put it on the line. I guess that's what I live for. What makes it all worthwhile is for me to get up there not knowing what's going to happen, to put myself in this situation where I have to be funny and not exactly sure where it's going to come from and wait for it to come and hope it does come. Then all of a sudden it's delivered to you. You don't know where from, you're just like, you're sort of like, you're kind of fishing the air. I'm going to go fishing in the ether to see if I can catch some tags, some jokes, some brilliance, just a, a moment. Will it come? Will it come? And when it comes out of nowhere, it's sort of like, there it is. It's been delivered. That moment. It's fucking horrible to have to depend on that. Wouldn't it be easier just to write a fucking joke, Marin? Wouldn't that be it? Who are you calling Marin? I'm you, dude. You. All right, relax, man. Steven Soderbergh's new film is called No Sudden Move. It's a movie. And we'll you'll hear, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to miscall it a film. You'll understand what I'm saying after you listen to me and Steve. Uh, his new movie, No Sudden Move, is now streaming on HBO Max. And this is me talking to Mr. Soderbergh. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. I tell you, man, this thing has got me like all those people in that one room. I, they, it is causing me more stress than having to be in person with that many people. <laughs> <laughs> soon, soon, Stephen, there will be. Are you going to make a movie all, all on Zoom? Is that something you can do? Oh, God. Would anybody want to see that? I don't know. We seem to be used to it. I mean, it's it seems I know, but it's gotten I'm it's gotten me anxious like in right i don't know do you i get like anxious on them because it feels very performative yes and and when i feel like i'm expected to like deliver <laughs> i i get like really i get really anxious it's like a new thing i mean do you were you, as a performer yeah did you ever were you ever nervous 
Sure. I, I was, uh, you know, five minutes ago, I was filled with dread and anxiety. And it wasn't until I saw your face and I was like, oh, there's, there's, there he is. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I, I get dread all the time. Not, not so much doing stand-up anymore. Uh, I don't know when that went away, but it, it, was, it was about 30 years into my career. I, I spent a, a long time pretending not to be afraid. And then eventually one day you're like, oh, I, I know how to do this. Right. So you don't generally have anxiety when you have to approach a film? No, no. That kind of stuff doesn't make me nervous at all. Professional stuff to me is not, not worth like getting really emotional about. Personal stuff I get very anxious about. And that's what I mean. Something, something is like leaked over. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something that what used to be strictly professional now it feels like it's leaking into something personal and it's making me really anxious. Well, are you saying that in this age of social media platforms uh, and uh, easy access to almost anybody that your boundaries are being a little, <laughs> a little strained? Yeah, I, it's, it's, <laughs> it's terrible. It's just, it's really, it's, it's the, it's one of the worst experiments Ever. You mean the the general experiment of uh, uh, of capitalism's exploration of social media and mining our brains entirely? Well, just just as another chapter in the, you know, how did we get here book? Yeah. Um, you know, it's just and also the 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 continual experience of counterintuition. Right, of, right, right. Of watching people. You, you'd think, oh, I could. I absolutely know what's going to happen here. And that is absolutely not what happens that like, it's not how people react. Right. Right. And, or respond like that's it's disorienting. Like, like what's an example of that? Um, well, I think it's when you try to, let's say either incentivize or disincentivize uh, people to do one thing or another. Right. And so, how many times does it happen that the plan is announced? If you do X, we will give you Y. Right. It goes horribly wrong. Either either too many people show up and the thing just crashes. Yeah. Or nobody shows up and it's a complete waste of time. Right. But in both instances, we feel, and, it, and it's hypocritical, but we feel our first reaction is, how did you not see that coming? Right, 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 right. So there's just, it's just so crazy. It's a 50-50 proposition, though. Yeah. I mean, you could see both things coming, and you're hoping that it's going to be more than one person. The, the real sad thing is, is when you get there and there's no one there, but two people, you kind of feel like, well, I mean, there's two. So uh, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we got to put on a show, I guess. Well, like you said, it's 50-50, and that's, that, that implies a certain reality of of or acknowledgement of uncertainty uh -huh. that is unsettling. Sure, and I guess I mean, I, it's real. It's real and it's true, but it's unsettling. Right. Well, I mean, you don't have. There's very few things we have control over. I imagine a movie's one of them. That's a, probably about ninety five percent. Or right. Well, it's certainly in terms of the you know when you're working on the thing, the the amount of control that you're able to exert on that thing isn't you know normal like yeah. most people most people don't go to work and have that kind of power of course um but at the same time in my experience 
you, the, any, if you, you're, you're mistaken, if you feel you really control it. Oh, right. There, there, there are too many human beings involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. There just are. <laughs> right. It's just too many people. Uh, you know, yeah. I see, I saw your, uh, I, I don't know how close you are with Tom Papa, but I see him a lot doing comedy. I saw him the other night. Tom's a good friend. He's funny. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I said to who I, I was just sitting in the back of the room. I was going on after him. I said, you know, watching him is like watching something that has always existed in comedy. He's got some sort of timing that seems sort of like ever present, you know, throughout the entire undertaking since uh, stand up starting doing stand up, you know? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, you're right. It's a sound in there. There's, there's, it's a verbal equivalent of a kind of music. Yes. Right. Yeah. There's a, yeah, yeah a rhythm. A rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Goes all the way back. Goes all the way back yep. to the Borscht Belt. So you just, you basically just called him the oldest comic ever. Yeah. Yeah. Him and Jeff Ross. I'll do it right to their face. <laughs> they're, they're part of the continuity for sure. So <laughs> I, I watched, a, I watched a new movie and I was thinking about, because it took me, it's it's a uh, it's like a multi-tiered noir, I guess, is really yeah. what it is, and and it it really it it sort of seeks to address almost all the uh, the the buttons of noir in a way, doesn't it? Absolutely, I hope so. Yeah, and then I started thinking about uh, you know the movie that you based on the underneath. I start I just saw Richard uh, or Robert Ziadmok movie recently, a couple uh-huh. a couple of them. And uh, there's something profound and simple about the way that guy made movies. Was he some yeah. sort of influence on you when approaching this type of material? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, like you said, there's a, there's just a, there's a clarity to it that I think is deceptively simple. Um, in Robert's movies? Yeah. But also in the best examples of this genre right. like when it's done when it's done really well yeah they they achieve a sort of clarity that uh, requires in my experience a lot of you know very specific effort yeah and and so i think sometimes that gets lost interesting you yeah know? right um but there's just a f- for this i wanted to i wanted to sort of be in the room with a certain kind of film from that period, but I I didn't want it to be a, a purely representational recreation of that era. Well, I definitely felt that. I mean, I, it definitely has a, a very um, a controlled and consistent look to it in terms of the you know the the tone of the color, right? And and also in 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 the way it seems like you structured almost all the shots. I couldn't tell mm-hmm. whether it was my screener or was it intentional. No, no, those are those are very wide lenses. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that so that was uh, that was there for a reason. That was, that was totally on purpose. And what what effect do you get from that? What does it do psychologically? What do I need to know? Oh well, I I would I would I would never venture a guess as to what its effect might be but but its intention i think was to sort of in a, in a in a in a too literal way um bring you out of a space in which uh you have a a, a 90 degree grid essentially right yeah a, a world in which things are that uh squared off right like i mean that i know that sounds incredibly pretentious but um that really felt 
wrong to me to have images that that were, were that sort of square. Right. Um, oh, okay. So I purposefully went and found this set of lenses that um, embraces the inherent anomalies of any anamorphic lens. Okay. Like they they are just like we're going with it. Right. Like, yeah. 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 It, it's got it's bendy. Yeah. Like we're just we're gonna do it. And I thought this is perfect for us. That's sort of interesting because I'm sitting there going like, oh, this must be the screener. I guess. Uh... <laughs> But it was completely intentional. Now I have what to. What time of day was was this? It was during the day. But now I got to go back and watch it, and it's like, no, this is on purpose. This is like, no. But uh, uh, are you just discontent with with anything that is uh, sort of uh, the old reliable way of moving forward? No, not at all. Uh, it's 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 more. Um, is there a way to blend? different things that have worked before into something that doesn't feel exactly like either of them. Yeah. And the story, how you, cause you just, I mean, the execution of the story and how it continues to unfold and how you have, you know, you've got, you've got a mob movie, you've got a revenge movie, you know, you've got a guy seeking some sort of personal justice. You've got several different factions of the mob. Then you've got the, you know, one of the biggest American industrial uh, complexes, you know, involved in this document. Uh, when you approach that material, do, do you realize like, you know, I, I guess the real challenge outside of, of finding these, these new lenses is, you know, how do you flatten this story enough for it to all sink in? You know, yeah, and, no, exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, that's the, the running conversation and it doesn't really conclude until you've locked and delivered the movie. Um, what information should be released at what point and by whom? Right, right. Like that's literally, it's really, really comes down to that because how you end up doing that directly affects the audience's ability to engage and, and sort of give you a little bit of runway. Like you want them chasing you a little bit, um, but they need to feel intention. Right. And they, they, they need to feel like their interest will be rewarded. Yeah. And so if you if you confuse them or or somehow allow them to disconnect, you know, it just gets harder to to pick them back up. So this was a movie when we're where we are constantly analyzing what character knows what, when and should this scene come here or should like we really wanted the math to be clean. Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely was because even if like you're like not unlike Chinatown or some of the more complicated noir movies, you know, even even if you think you miss something by the time all the the sub all the stories pay off, you're like, oh, what? Oh, no. You know, so there's that triple like, what the fuck? Oh, really? And then at the end, you're sort of like, all right, that was good. (laughs) Well, good, because look, we were we were in, in one in one regard, we weren't following the the map of the typical noir because the movie does not end with a gun battle right right and it doesn't you know uh end with the uh with with the woman dying or or getting away with something right no no (laughs) not not in the version i did yeah 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 well i mean it's it's sort of interesting in this movie though you know given like i talked to sharon stone about mosaic you know and i was able to watch that uh unfortunately i just watched the the movie version i didn't you know Mm -hmm. uh, setting up for it but it seems like in this uh, 
outing. The only thing you really did that was, you, you know, um, kind of pushing the envelope was using that lens. So it bent up at the sides, which also I think creates it. Now that I think back on it and, you know, what you're saying about the 90 degree thing, but it also is a reminder of, of that, that you're watching a movie in some degrees, which is, you know, yes. Uh, which That's is true. Uh, kind of the old uh, French new wave trick, you know, Hey, surprise, you're, it's an illusion, but yeah, well, I did want to, I did, I did, I did think of it in my mind as a movie, as opposed to a film. I think that those are slightly different things. And so for me, the, the, the more movie, the more movie-ish it was, the better. Oh, interesting. So what you want to tell me what the difference is? So I make sure I know. Um, one of them wins awards. <laughs> Can you tell me which one? Oh, I think I think it's I think it's fairly obvious that if you if you had somebody if you were doing like uh, you know the equivalent of a flashcard test, yeah, where you 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 held up the poster for a piece of cinema, yeah, and asked just asked a a person like, do you consider that a film or a movie, and just took that data, yeah that the ones that they identified as films would would in the aggregate have more awards huh and, i think and you didn't make one of those you made a movie this is a movie okay this is a movie <laughs> so, this is a movie so you basically are we putting it out in the world that you're not you don't want to win awards you're not expecting awards this no is a- it's it's in terms of its its intention okay so what is that? To entertain? To, to just entertain, yes. And when you do something like Mosaic, which was involved in app and involved sort of a, a an ability to sort of investigate the movie, uh, the movie's plot through other means and go deeper than you would normally, that is also, I assume, a, a more complicated entertainment, yes? Yeah, that was, we didn't even, it was so, we didn't know what to call it. Yeah. Like that, that was, that was a, that was a challenge. So what, what, what do you think was then from your point of view, the last movie you made or the the last film? Last film. Che. Oh, really? Yep. And, and so is that, does that come down to a business decision for you? No. It just it just is. It's a, you you look at the material and you take the gig. Yeah, or you, if it's if it's, uh, it's hell yeah. There are two categories: hell yeah and no. <laughs> okay, and so hell, so hell yeah can be anything that you're interested Absolutely. in. Absolutely, I because I, I have to be honest. I, I uh, the behind the candelabra, I've watched like four times. Oh my god, <laughs> and I. Um, uh, you know, you know, primarily for the line where Michael Douglas goes, "Who are you talking to, Mumbles?" Just, oh, yeah. <laughs> that I mean, you must have been on the set of that of that it, watching Michael Douglas do that. You must have just been entertained every fucking day. They really just, you know, ran toward it. They just really, <laughs> it was really. <laughs> fun to watch Michael and Matt just just do it like just do it yeah and and it was a really it was a really for me a really special kind of experience because in theory that was going to be my last thing and it, but yeah I know that, that I've heard that you point because I do that too like over the pandemic I realized like not only do I not miss stand-up but maybe I'm all better 
Like it becomes like sort of like, why was I doing this to begin with? How come I feel relief? Maybe I'm done. So what what drove you to to decide that you may might be done? Oh, I think just the business was making me a bit nutty. I didn't understand the the process by which large scale important decisions about you know where everything should go yeah. were being made because they seemed so um so much in opposition to my experience of how to solve creative problems like how to how to how to answer a question um i i it seemed um I was absolutely aware that 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 there was and there is a certain amount of information that I don't have access to about why they make the decisions they make. Right. You know, I'm 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 even though I'm working for them, um, I I don't know what assumptions they make about growth, uh, eyeball migration, subscription costs. Like, I don't know. Um, Isn't a lot of times the decisions they make based on their own fear of failure? Well, if that's true, that's not a knock because that's most of uh, that's most of us. Yeah, Um, that's so I just wish that at that point in 2013, my unwillingness to acknowledge that, (laughs) yeah, you know, was just making me really frustrated. Um, And and I I think afterward, I realized I kind of. Um, I let it bleed. I, I thought it was about my job and it wasn't about my job. Yeah. Because uh, once I started doing my job again, I was really happy. Yeah. And so I realized that I had, I had allowed, you know, my my sort of uh, bafflement to to really um, take me off course and slow me down um, to- that I shouldn't. I shouldn't be like giving that so much real estate, like just go to work. Right. To, to judge yourself against this sort of like nebulous uh, uh, disappointment for uh, uh, with the intentions of the industry. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it was like a weird. Yeah. You know, like I was in some free floating like funeral or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, it, it stupidly, I had let it kind of, right. you know, bleed into my day job. Yeah. And um, once I, once I got past that, uh, everything got better. Um, but you did stop for a while, right? It was very, it was very, very brief. It was very, it was embarrassingly brief. And what was the plan? You're like, I'm going to do this now. I, I was going to, um, I was going to take painting lessons. Did you? Uh Yes. And how, how, how do you find, are you still painting? No, <laughs> no, I never did. You never, I never did. you never, no, I mean it, it, I got two. I think two, two lessons in and then I got the script for the Nick and. Oh, and that re-engaged you. People love that series. And that was just, I love doing it. Yeah. And that's like, like steady work. That's not like, I'm going to make a movie. It's like, we got a whole thing to do here. That's going to go over a, yeah, many episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Now, when you talk yeah. about it, it's like when you talk about the job, you know, because like you're you're a guy who like there are certain movies that you've made that you know made an indelible impression on me. I mean, all the way from the beginning, because I went to college with Steve Brill. So when you cast him. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, we used to do comedy together. Oh, my God. Yeah. But I remember that movie as being like some sort of globally, you know, uh, uh, it was a game changer on so many levels, right? 
let's 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 not debate that. Yeah. Um, well, just in, in, it, it let's it was an unexpected thing. Right. So then that sets you going. And then over the course of the thing, like, where did you you know, did you did you study film? Yeah, but not formally, not formally. So you made yeah, I, that, didn't to, I didn't go to school for it. So this is like so you're kind of a, a an autodidact in this medium um, by 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 law. I am described as self-taught. Yeah, really? By law? I, if in in a in a legal case, I think you would that would they would have to say that. So the evolution of this skill set, uh, well, that's well, that's interesting to me because anytime you change the approach that you take, because this movie is really the movie you just made is unlike any other movie you made to some degree, because yep, you're I hope so right yep. because you're constantly employing. You know, everything that you've learned, everything that you're a fan of and everything that you want to try in each movie. But you but you do have certain consistencies around like, you know, tone. I I guess what I'm trying to get at is you see you keep talking about the job. So do you not Mm. see yourself as an artist? Do you see that the director is primarily an occupation that you apply to uh, in any way that the material demands? Do you not think that a point of view or uh, 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 some sort of auteur authorship is necessary? Well, I'm an absolute believer in um, the idea of a decider. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like there needs to be a decider. Right. And I think the best results have been when that decider um, is very, very specific and rigorous about all of the choices that have to be made to get something done. You know, it's it's I tell people, it's like, if you don't like answering questions, do not take this job. Yeah. Answering questions. That's all it is. But you but you're answering them, you know, in the face of the the task. It's not people are asking you questions, are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like actors, like producers, like. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah. Lighting people like where? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. Which lens? What do we? Yeah. So, OK. Everything. Every, right. Everything all the time. That's that's the job. And the more the more unified the answers are. Um, I think the better, the better the piece. But do you think that ever think that because of your, your natural compulsion to, to do new things and change things up all the time has in some way, uh, uh, denied you a specific voice? Like, do you feel that people can see a Soderbergh movie and go like, this is a Soderbergh movie or didn't? Oh, I, I don't, I don't think. I don't that to me that ends up if that becomes true, that becomes a a potentially dangerous thing, because then you're I don't I think being a brand in any sense of that word in in terms of is like a terrible idea because you'll be Um, expected to deliver on that brand. Yeah, because then yeah, exactly. Then it's and and and, you know what what keeps me you know activated is the the possibility of something in front of me that that i'm going to learn something new right and and get you know get challenged in some way that's going to be 
new or it has demands that I've never had to meet before, like that by definition, I want it to keep changing. Well, there was a point early on, I think, right, where, you know, you you were you were pushing the envelope for yourself. And, you know, and I, I think uh, you know, some movies were not received as, uh, you know, in, in any real way. <laughs> but I mean, but do you see those in retrospect as necessary learning experiences? Oh, absolutely. In every particular. It's not fun to lose people money. I don't enjoy I don't enjoy losing money for people (laughs) Um, but you know the point is you have to if it if if at any stage i mean unless you're talking about catastrophic failure after catastrophic failure you can't second guess yourself yeah you can only make something that you want to see that you would stand in line to go see yeah and and if you're if you're getting into some sort of predictive state I just think now you don't know where North is. And so luckily, occasionally, like these concentric circles, you know, I'll make something that people seem to want to get eyeballs on at that particular moment. Then there's there could be a fallow period. Then it goes like I've done a couple in a row that have done like that. I've done a couple in a row that have tanked. Yeah. Like it's just all all with the same methodology right of so it's this is this i don't know what else to to listen to other than my own desire to see something right so you so in other words you're not you're not thinking like this isn't going to sell you're thinking like i want to follow this through because i love this thing and i'm going to make it yeah but i think you need to have an understanding of the real world economics of an idea that requires a certain amount of resources to do well. Right. And the potential audience for it. Like I do, I do think you, you, you don't be stupid about that too often. Well, the, I mean, you've had experience with, I mean, you, I mean, I don't guess you like doing these junkets on some level. Only when they, well, I have certain, you know what I did? I, I, I just, I, I said, here's how I would like to structure these I'd like them to be long. I'd like the conversations to be long. Yeah. Then I can do them. Right. Um, and so, um, so that, I've been able. That'll give that. Well, it's the only way to stay sane. Right. And it's also um, the only way to have follow through, but also the downside of that. But even because you're a sophisticated thinker and an intellectual person, but the only downside of the longer form interview is it gives them more things to take out of context. But, you know, that's the dice you're going to roll. Right. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. When the when the when speculating about the film industry. Yeah becomes a third rail then you know yeah then we'll know the pendulum has gone very far in a certain direction because there's a lot more important stuff going on it's it it is very hard especially through that how do you think uh, your film how do you think contagion held up to the real thing do you would you um well i mean this the i think the science is 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 solid um the things we missed um were again um big giant examples of irrational behavior yeah you know we just we missed a lot of that um well that was a, we le- a leadership the, problem yeah that 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 you that you would be in a situation in which uh the administration um would be in some sort of disarray and confusion um these were things that you know, we we in trying to keep it fairly intimate that we 
we we missed and we thought the the position yeah. and the amount of real estate that the Jude Law character occupied in Contagion wouldn't be any larger than that. We never imagined that it would become like half. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We looked at it as like 12 percent. And when it turned into 50 percent, we were like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Right, right. Um, but, you know, the, the 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 process for the people that are in the middle of it, you know, we tried to, to, to really show it's 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 a very complex thing. And there are very smart people working on it. Yeah. How how do you how do you handle it? What did you do over the year? You worked. We were in New York. Yeah. Um, the whole time uh, until um, from the beginning until uh, I left to go to Detroit to shoot No Sudden Move in September. So we were, you know, kind of there for that period, which which had a lot of uh, a, a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, and dislocation. Yeah. Um, but um, I ended up after we finished No Sudden Move in Los Angeles. So I went from Detroit to Los Angeles just in time for their wave. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it's really it's really been wild um, to see it to see it evolve like this and, and to 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 really take on the fact that when we were making Contagion and all the people we were consulting with were saying, you know, this is going to happen. Right. Like you, you just can't quite wrap your mind around it. And then, and then to see it. And in many ways, I mean, the, 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 the number of the mortality uh, quotient in contagion was, was much higher, but in many ways, what was terrifying about this was to talk to some of our consultants and have them go, Oh, this actual real world thing is a lot worse than the one we came up with for contagion. Really? So yeah, they're like this, they're, they're like this thing, they call it nose to toes. They're like, this is bad in terms of just the complexity and full body, you know, activation that it caused. Yeah. That the, the, they were like, this thing is gnarly. COVID. COVID. Yeah. 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 They're like, our thing was a lot simpler. It just like, killed you quicker. Yeah. In most cases. So this, this is, um, it's a, it's a, it's a real, it's a real testament again to, to these, these scientists, there's some technology that exists now that didn't exist then. Right. That's why we got to a vaccine so fast. It's pretty amazing. And, and it's like, it, it's interesting. Like you said to me, you know, that there are bigger problems than, than, you know, studio, uh, issues and you know movie movie business issues but you know you seek to you know we we all did just lock down and everybody watched you know more movies and more entertainment than they ever would in their life they caught up on movies they saw things they didn't want they saw things they didn't see before they 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 used it to ground themselves and keep sane but i keep asking myself is that even in this movie that you just made the movie no sudden move there, there, there is an environmental message. There is a a message in there. I guess it's not unlike some of of the more uh, some of the noirs that deal with with uh, you know with nefarious industry and and politics. Yeah, but it, but is it it is a prescient and 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 current uh, realization of of 
you know, industry fucking people and we're living in the garbage. So I guess as a filmmaker, do you is there a responsibility as an artist or do we do you just go on making movies? Because I don't know what art is going to really change anybody. You know, people are always talking about like, well, art, you know, you got to do your art because that's where change comes from. Like what, a painting? Like what, what's going to, you know, what do you mean it's going to change anything? Like I got the message from this movie I just watched, which you are not calling a film. And, you know, and all, a lot of times all you can do is go like, wow, you know, we it was fucked up back then. You know, I mean, <laughs> but Contagion, that was... That you know, prim- yeah, you know, that that saw into the future. What is the responsibility? Well, personally, I feel it's to be as accurate as you can. G- generally speaking, yeah, like like you know, and again, we get into a very subjective space of well, how can when you talk about lying, you talk about being accurate or what's true? Yeah, you know what? Then what is a lie? What's the what's the movie equivalent of of a lie? Um, and it's a long list (laughs) and, and there's some very, there's some very good, uh, and certainly some, some, some very successful movies on it. Um, and, and then the question becomes, well, but if the audience understands that, then is it really a lot? Like if they know, yeah, I know what you're doing. Just do it. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 And who am I to say that they can't have that? You know? Yeah. Um, but well, you're the guy who makes it. Yeah, but but I'm saying it's really personal. Yeah, like my right. my definition of a movie lie is is going to be different from somebody else's. Um, like what? So, like what's a movie lie? Well, the people can change in two hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. I won't. Go, I won't go as dark as that. People can change. Right. But it is this weird sort of uh relationship that we have with 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 stories in general but movies i think especially because they're so powerful because it's such a powerful medium when you experience it you know in a theater with a lot of people there's nothing really exactly like it um and you still and you still uh enjoy that you're still making movies with that in mind i i every filmmaker would like their movie seen on a giant screen it, it it simply becomes a matter of economics. Like if if I don't if I'm not making the kinds of movies that that draw people to movie screens, then there's that's not a business, you know. Right. Well, just we I guess if we just keep making the TVs bigger and and people have a dedicated room in their house, and you know they're expecting it's getting close. It is, man. By the way, speaking of, I don't know why. No, I'm not going to go there. Why? I'm going to save that for the end. That sounded great. <laughs> But so you like you have experience. I mean, OK, so you, you made a couple of movies on iPhones. Was that to prove a point or because? No. Well, I mean, uh, I, that, that's a, a confrontive way to say it. You you were you you did an experiment and you found it successful and you were impressed by the results. And it, it is an option for you. But, you know, this movie you just made, you went and found these lenses that were far from an iPhone. And so do they do those uh, exist on the same uh, plane to you? Oh, sure. Absolutely. In all instances, the the the, you know, the the motivation is the same, which is to, you know, see if there's some, you know, melange of of the real world genre, my own preoccupations. Yeah. um, Format, uh, 
form of distribution. Right. You know, to so in the case of the the unsane and high flying bird, fascinated by this technology and and w- wanted to see if there were things that I could do with this technology that I couldn't do with any other technology, just to see yeah. like what's, what's possible, what's not possible, what's different. And there were, and there were, because they were in different formats, it took me two movies to really get a feel for that. And my walk away was, I think both of these are closer to what I wanted than if I'd used quote unquote, normal cameras. Huh? that I was able to put the lens in places that were specific to these devices yeah. and move the camera in a way that it would be very dangerous to move anything larger. Right. And that that was contributive to right. like the visual scheme of the film. Sure. And, like, and you didn't have to put, I felt it was the best version and you didn't have to put anyone in danger to get the shots. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, that well, I I mean, well, that makes sense. And I guess you also learn that in a pinch, if uh, there's economic collapse and the infrastructure doesn't hold, if your phone is still working, you can make a movie. I I'm the cockroach of this industry. <laughs> so, in your education, like saying that you know, self-taught. I mean, who were the most informative, you know, uh, people in your life as each movie, as you got opportunities after that first movie? Was it primarily DPs? Who were you like, you know, where did you pick up the language of film from? Well, I, I, you know, I'd seen a lot of films. Um, I did. When I said saying I'm self-taught or that I didn't go to school for film is a little disingenuous only because the reality was. I was going to a laboratory high school on the LSU campus. And every day after school, I was hanging out with the actual college film students. Oh, okay. Yeah. So for four years, I was in that class every day after school. Okay. Okay. So you you were soaking it in, the real stuff. Yeah. And I'm so technique it was, and process and everything else. Yeah. And so then the the once I graduated high school, um, the plan seemed very straightforward, write, write spec screenplays and make short films. I mean, that's how you, you know, that's how you get yourself noticed yeah. or, you know, you can't get anywhere if you don't make stuff. So. And whose ideas in terms of like, you know, the films that, you know, drove you or that you were, you're sort of like Rosetta Stones. What were they? Well, at that point it would have been, I mean, Cassavetes, you know, had existed for a long time. So he was kind of a, an anchor. Yeah. Um, but then I remember Claudia Wiles' girlfriends uh, was a big deal. And then, you know, then you have Jarmish, you have yeah. David Lynch, Spike Lee. Like it's, it's, you can feel, you can feel the uh, hunger uh, in the middle of the decade where the studios just took back complete control a desire to see something that felt handmade. Right, right, right. So like, so on, uh, in terms of people you could judge yourself against and in, in terms of what you thought you wanted to do, those were the guys. Well, th- those were, yeah, those were, those, those seemed, what's the right word? They weren't arm's length, but they were not, it wasn't impossible. Right, it was possible. And it's sort yeah. it's interesting out of all those people, you've gone on to make, you know, more, I think, independent films and more studio films than any of them, really. Well, I mean, well, Spike, you know, Spike's been very active and, yeah. and made movies for everybody. Yeah. Um, but 
And Jim Jarmus owns all of his own negatives. So, you know, yeah, that's that's a success that I don't that I can't claim. Do you own any um, negatives? Yeah, I own seven. So when you did Oceans, the the I mean, that's a franchise, right? Uh, it, potentially. Right. But like, you know, in, in, in what we're talking about in terms of, of the possibility of becoming that those movies were definitely a brand. You may your your point of view or Soderbergh's signature might not have been a brand. But after you did two of those, were you like one more? That's it. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like, I was th- those from those movies for me yeah. provide uh, an opportunity to play that's that's unique yeah like there's no there's no there's nothing else that comes my way that really allows for that exact form of of being a a child um for me because even something like logan lucky is is much more controlled visually than one of the oceans movies right um so they're they're in my mind they're just they're they're just these sort of you know little (laughs) you know, little rainbows. Um, well, and- you know, what's amazing is those type of movies with that expansive uh, cast of that kind of talent, they, they don't really exist like they used to. I mean, it was a fairly common thing to do for big studios to do those massive comedies or even war movies with, you know, every studio player they had and, and they were spectacles. So like, you know, just that thing that you kind of reinvented that or, or, or at least engaged that, that that uh that type of movie again for the first time in you know decades probably really well it was you know i think a testament to to the late great jerry weintraub and to the cast that we were able to do three of those in six years and keep everybody well they must have loved it they must love working with you you know i'm just saying that that speaks to their that speaks to their connection and and you know that's 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 a that's a rare thing you know yes yes and and like and it was sort of like to me but i romanticize relationships and and movie stars and even though i've talked to so many different people i still have a certain amount of fandom and awe and assumptions around you know people like you know working even with elliot gould you know and and carl reiner uh that you know these different decades of show business represented along with this new generation of of movie stars i mean for you like stepping into that even though you've got to helm the thing and provide a space is there part of you that's like holy shit well i was scared i mean i was (laughs) i was no i was scared for a lot of reasons the 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 opportunity that it provided if 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 it were you know well executed you know we're significant like yeah. it's it's it just means m- more freedom uh the ability to take even bigger chances on things like it just you know conversely if 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 it crashes uh then it closes off you know certain right. opportunities right but you know the, these are not problems um, in any real sense, they're 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 strictly. Um, I'm wait, you know, in in trying to figure out what the next two or three years of work would look like. You know how people respond to something is going to have a big effect on that. Yeah, yeah. So so if I have something that I feel is ambitious in a certain sort of way, it's going to take 
you know, a real leap, leap of faith on the part of the people financing it. You probably don't want to go in with that after the catastrophe. Right. And none of them were. Those were huge movies. And then be mad about it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you know, I think you need to be smart about timing. You know, the timings, timing is really important. And I've been the beneficiary of it um, many on many occasions. But it's it's, you know, that's just showing up and with the right thing at the right time, which, which just, you can't force them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's just luck, cosmic timing. But I would argue, you know, being in the right place at the right time, if your interactions with somebody are, are really, you know, toxic, or if you, if you're, if you're just not very good at, at any sort of, connection with people or, or, you know, working with them in a way that they don't feel diminished or threatened yeah. or something like if you, if you can't figure that out, you won't be asked to that place, which will mean being in the right place at the right time. And yeah. It, like, and, and that seems to be like, it seems that, you know, what you're speaking to, there were those people that were like that. And, and because of that, and because of the intimidation factor and, and the fear factor, we're able to dominate uh, the industry. And, and now those, you know, that paradigm is shifting uh, and there's a, a relief there. Is that what you're addressing? Well, I hope so. I hope it's I hope it's going to shift. It should shift. Um, it's it's. Do you feel like you've been bullied in different times by production entities, by individuals? No, that's good. No. But you know the guys. No, it's more. It's more. You know that that the the uh, I was just never in a in a situation um, in which I was dealing with somebody who viewed me in that sort of predatory way or right. wanted to torture me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or right. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that got pleasure out of my displeasure. I just. But, and and that's not saying I never was in a room with somebody who didn't turn out to do that. Right. But I never had anybody do that to my face in a room. Right. Right. You use uh, uh, some of these guys, these actors uh, over and over again. You know, you have relationships with them, you know, like Benicio, Matt Damon. And I think, you know, Cheadle a couple of times, too. Yep. Yeah. Six. Six. Wow. Um, what? What? What do you expect? What? How? How does that, that relationship evolved, and and how do you work with actors? Generally speaking, do you sh do they just you expect them to know what to do? Just show up and do their job and trust their interpretation of it, or are you more? Is it more collaborative? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm hoping they really bring a lot to the table. Yeah. Like I'm 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 really trying to, you know have the default mode be that they are, you know, completely, you know, leaning forward and, and sharing anything that they're thinking or feeling and I'll do the same. And, and I'm looking for, I'm looking for ideas. I'm looking for, I want them to be stress testing, you know, not just, and what's great is that working with people, especially Don and Benicio, but not only them, they don't just talk about their role. Yeah. 
you know, they talk about the whole thing. Yeah. They talk about scenes that they're not in. And because they know, like, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It's not, it's not any one person. So they, they view it. They have the experience and the intelligence to, to know you've got to, you've got to look at the, the whole thing. Yeah, and they're so good. Yeah, Don was so good, and Benicio's. You know, he does his thing, and he's always great. But you know, Matt Damon is this like, yeah, they're all profoundly good actors. You know, like yes, it, it, it's sort of astounding, really. No, and and it's it, it must be a, it must be a. I can't imagine what it's like to be good at that. <laughs> In what way? You tell me, Mark. Tell me. <laughs> What is it like to be a good actor? I'm trying. I'm trying. What does it feel? What does it feel like? I'm trying, Stephen. I'm trying to feel. Do you remember, like afterwards, like do you? The one time I acted on stage in a high school, I have no memory of the actual thing. I remember coming out and I remember leaving. I literally don't remember what I did. Well, I think, like I, you know, as I try to do more of it and apply myself to the opportunities I'm having and taking more chances with it, I, I feel I find that there, you know, once you lock into what you're going to do or where you're going to come from, that being it, it's an awfully present experience. And when you come out of it, you, it's like like that feeling you had, like what just happened, and then like, right. but then the the fact is you have to repeat it, which I think is the bigger part of the job. It's like how do you keep doing that? Yeah. Um, and, and and how do you make that continually interesting? And you've worked with guys that somehow have figured that out. Oh, absolutely. Because that's the whole job. It's like, hey, that was great. You really nailed it. Now we're going to do it 20 more times. And they do it. I don't know. You know, I, I'm 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 trying to, you know, I, I, I enjoy it. And I and I and I and I want to believe I'm I'm doing OK with it. And sometimes I do. And that's good. And do you enjoy do you enjoy everything that goes with it? The other cast? The, yeah. Yeah. Like, is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's is the social part of it. OK. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time, you know, I'm a little like, you know, in order to sort of maintain my thing and not bleed, like, you know, because of my insecurity over my life, I've known like, you know, don't hang around if you're not if you're feeling needy. You know, go ahead, right. get off set and ride it out and then, you know, right. convince yourself that you're OK and get back in the saddle, you know. So right. but outside of that, yeah, I enjoy it. I like uh, standing around eating and talking about things. What were you going to what were you going to say that we were pushing to the end? Your advice about the towel on the hotel room chair <laughs> is is so right and so true. And so useful. Yeah. Good. That I just wanted to say thank you. And I wanted you to know that every time I place a towel (laughs) on a hotel room chair, I think about you. (laughs) Well, I am I'm I'm honored and moved, and I'm thrilled that I helped out in some way. You know, if you can reach one person. Well, good. Well, I'm glad, Stephen. And yeah, and I and and to you, your movies have been very important to me. Uh, many of them, I, I are unforgettable and have have uh, really changed the way I look at film. Well, I appreciate that. Yes, as uh, as a movie director. Yeah, and I appreciate the towel thing as just a guy that spends time in hotel rooms. <laughs> Take care, man. I, I really enjoyed the movie. Thank you. Good to talk to you.
No Sudden Move is now streaming on HBO Max and treat yourself to any number of Steven Soderbergh films. What a, uh, uh, a great uh, talk. Glad I got to talk to that guy. And I'm glad I helped him out with my, my uh, important towel advice for uh, motel room desk chairs. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that was in uh, Attempting Normal. Here comes the guitar. and the Fonda cat angels everywhere. 